0: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in
1: Tuscaloosa. I do. How much of your time was spent and how much was it invested in your goal? Can't do it unless you can overcome adversity because that's what makes great things great That would be my message to everybody here. Make a difference and help everybody's spirit in a positive way. God bless you and roll tide.
2: Jay Barker led the Crimson Tide to a national championship in 1992. Winner of the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award and a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. Voted the SEC Player of the Year and was drafted by the Green Bay Packers, also seeing time with the New England Patriots and the Carolina Panthers. He is the winningest quarterback in Alabama history, 35-2-1, and one. member of the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Jay Barker brings that same championship quality and football expertise to his own radio network and show. Joining him is Lars Anderson, New York Times best-selling author, 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated, and professor at the University of Alabama, live from the AVX studios in Birmingham, Alabama, The Jay Barker Show.
3: Welcome in. It is the Jay Barker Show here, live from AVX Audio Video. Excellence. Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, and we got a great show lined up for you today. Coming up around twelve fifteen, Brian Vincent, the head coach of UAB, will join us, and also Clint Lamb will be with us around one fifteen today. So hour number one, hour number two, and also previewing some of the big matchups coming up in college football, especially Alabama, Arkansas. Two thirty on CBS at Arkansas this weekend. We are presented by Top Golf at Birmingham. Get out to Top Golf; you'll absolutely love it. A ton of events going on there. Throughout the year, they do a lot of charitable events as well as a lot of corporate events. And just for people to go out there, friends, family, co-workers enjoy a great night of great food, great drinks, and great golf at Top Golf of Birmingham. Also driven by Sunny King Ford on the sunny side of the street. Go by and see Tony Russell and all the great folks there at Sunny King Ford. All right, guys, uh, welcome in, first of all. But, man, what another beautiful afternoon, weekend uh, coming up as well for uh, the Birmingham area, Alabama. And, uh, man, some really rough weather, though, down In South Florida, we've talked about over the last couple of days, what 2.7 million people without power now. Uh, Fort Myers area really got devastated as well as other areas around uh, that uh, central part of Florida and inward as well. But uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to all the folks who are really struggling right now and had to take shelter or actually evacuated from those areas. But some devastating uh, looks and pictures that we've seen over the last 24 hours down in that uh, right there in the mid Part of the Florida pan or the Florida um, state of Florida and what they've gone through, but I hope you guys are having a good afternoon
4: yeah uh, uh yeah it's a uh, quite the contrast between the weather here and what is going on still in Florida. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to me to see Orlando, a, a city that I've spent so much time in over the years, uh, located in the middle of the state, just absolutely having the streets turned into rivers. And uh, the look, the infrastructure in, uh, in in two counties in particular, uh, Lee and Charlotte, uh, just completely destroyed. Uh, two bridges have been damaged, including the uh, Sanibel uh, Causeway. And um, and basically, dropped into the bay. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, was, I mean, an and, and uh, uh, Governor DeSantis said that basically the uh, electric grid for Lee and Charlotte counties will have to be rebuilt. And uh, Governor DeSantis described the devastation as a 500-year flood event. Um, and uh, I, I know this. Look, rebuilding is really hard, but always offers opportunity. Remember how Walt Maddox, he used the tornado in Tuscaloosa almost as like a blank canvas in which to rebuild the city and almost redesign and reshape the city. And I I, I know one thing that is already being discussed in Florida among Florida officials is instead of having power lines, get them underground, get the power lines underground. It's something that is desperately needed there but um you know it it was amazing to see uh the the, the tide going so far out in Tampa right and and it, i believe it what it left behind it, it was the Hillsborough yeah. River uh and i was just there look everybody was expecting this to really uh slam Tampa but instead it took a a, a sharp right turn and uh and you know it just people just weren't expecting that um so yeah it's the sanibel causeway is impassable and and the pine island bridge and we haven't even got into the barrier islands uh and we talked about gasparilla island which is where coach sabin and coach sweeney have uh have um vacation homes second homes who knows if those are still even upright. I've not read upright. anything about it. Uh, and, and I sure hope uh, everybody got off of those barrier islands where Ian struck because it's just, uh, you know, we haven't even seen pictures yet. And, and I don't think we're not going to know the extent of the damage, Matt, for a few days, maybe Weeks. a week, uh, just because there's a all, all modes of communication are down And, uh, you know, according uh, to historical records that this was the fifth most violent hurricane to hit the U.S. shores in in history based on the wind speed, I believe, of 183 or so uh, when it when it first hit land. It was two miles per hour under a cat five. Yeah, it was a
5: devastating storm. Thoughts and prayers go out to everyone. So far, there has been one reported death that I've read about in Daytona, which is near uh, Daytona.
4: Let me just say one thing. It was a a phone interview this morning with Good Morning America. Um, uh, Sheriff Carmine Marcino said there are thousands of people still need to be rescued in uh, Fort Myers, Sanibel Island, and Captiva Island. And he said, I don't have confirmed numbers, but I definitely know the fatalities are in the hundreds. Uh, And there are thousands of people that are waiting to be rescued uh, as he spoke this morning. So, uh, again, once once we can really uh, appreciate the magnitude of this, I think it's going to go down as one of the worst natural disasters in American history. And it's back out in the Atlantic, and it's gaining up,
5: more power and it could become a hurricane again and then go right through south carolina
4: yep and uh, in coastal georgia uh, yep. perhaps and um yeah this is just a, a a devastating storm absolutely devastating and uh you know i saw some interviews this morning with people who live in fort myers and they simply weren't expecting that sharp right turn right at the end because the models had this sort of hitting uh, the, the, the most the, hitting Tampa. And and that was where the, the most violent winds were going to be. And instead it was Fort Myers. And suddenly before you know it, Fort Myers is basically underwater. Well, and they also tracked it to go south and east
5: of Orlando. And then mm-hmm. it got inland and it went north. And, mm-hmm. and it, I got a buddy in Orlando. He said, man, it's drizzling 10 mile an hour wind 10 hours later. They were having 60, 70-mile-an-hour wins. May I, and I know we've got a pack show, will y'all give me one minute for a rant? Yes. Jim Cantori needs to be taken out back and pistol-whipped. Did you see the video of him standing in the middle of the street and gets yeah. hit by a tree branch? Yes. So a first responder is going to have to go clean his butt up off the soaked streets instead of doing what they're supposed to do. I'm done. Du- I am, man. Yeah, that's just the bad theater. journalism, first of all.
3: Yeah, a lot. A lot it's of that is right. theater. That's what drives you nuts. I mean, it's you see, there's pictures of guys out there, and they're like they can't stand up, and then people walking right behind them with, with You know, <laughs> with ease. Um, I don't know. I, that that does drive me nuts when when they're making it uh, bigger than you know. And and not, again, not, not to say that it's bigger than what it what, what the devastation we've seen, but um, you know, and a lot of people wonder why do people stay around? Well, a lot of people just can't get out whether it's for health reasons, whether it's for financial reasons, whether it's because they don't have a car, um, you know, the, the emergency uh, groups try to do as much as they can to warn people. And we got the best, uh, you know, latest technologies now that really uh, affect you. And, and, and guys, I, my understanding with the hurricane is that it's the west side of the hurricane that's the worst as far as the wind speeds. And, um, you know, and that's where, you know, whether it be Fort Myers and these other areas that really got hit, so hard by uh, by those. But also the movement of the hurricane itself at one point, like 10 miles per hour was what it was moving at. So not only was it is one of the largest yeah. storms that was all the way across the state of Florida. But it just sat there for hours upon hours upon hours and still going to be growing, as we just talked about, going into the Atlantic and may hit the Georgia or South Carolina shorelines. But, you know, and, and one of the things we, we've seen over the, and I saw a great stat or a great graph this morning. Uh, From even like it was like 1910 or 1950 or somewhere in there, they had different ones. Talking about the amount of population that's moved to those coastal areas in that period of time, and that you know, the devastation compared to to hurricanes back in the day, uh, with the amount of buildings and houses and homes and people that have now occupied those areas, that uh, the devastation is even larger year in and year out now based on those type of uh, movements and migrations into those areas. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. we got Coach uh, Brian Benson going to be joining us, and uh, a little bit later on as well, down at the bottom of the hour, uh, Brian Crichton's going to be joining us as president as Talladega Super Speedway, Clint Lamb at 115. Stay with us. We're live from AVX on this Thursday edition. We'll be back.
2: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show, live from the AVX Studios in downtown Birmingham. Coming up, Coming up on the game with Ryan Fowler.
6: Coming up on the Thursday edition of the game, we'll talk to Brad Powers, our professional
0: handicapper. We're going to talk with him, Rodney Orr, or and a lot more. Coming up starting at 2 on Tide 100.9. The home
6: of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports.
2: The longest running sports program in Tuscaloosa.
5: The game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on
0: Tide 100.9 and streaming on the
5: Tide 100.9 app. Don't miss a play at the Sportsbook at Pearl River Resort, your front row seat to all the action. Place bets on all professional and most college
0: sports. Tomorrow's sunny with a high at 79. And for the weekend, lots of sunshine Saturday and Sunday. Highs between 76 and 79. I'm James Spam on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 72 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
2: Hi,
3: welcome back in as we continue here on this uh, Thursday edition. Get ready for the big weekend of college football. UAB has got rice, they travel to rice. And uh, joining us now, the head coach, Coach Brian Vincent, uh, as we uh, discuss this and get uh, his take on his team so far this year. Coach, always great to have you on. Thanks for being with us, and go Blazers.
7: Go Blazers, Jay. I'm
3: glad to be on. appreciate you guys having me. Most definitely, and uh, I, I guess give us an assessment of kind of where you see the team right now as you head into this game versus Rice this weekend. What have you been pleased with, and what do you think you've got to continue to work on?
7: Well, you know, if you just look at offensively, I've been very pleased with, you know, just the play of our, our offensive line and, and obviously our tight ends, the, the running style, the, you know, the pad level, the, the reads by our running back to the room, uh, you know, with Debo and school and even Lee Witherspoon. I think our receiver position has, you know, it's probably as deep as it's ever been, as talented as it's ever been. You know, you just, we really hadn't had the opportunity. We hadn't had that breakout game by those guys because. The Alabama A&M game, you know, we've had one possession, and we're up 21 to nothing in the first quarter. And then, you know, we kept breaking long runs. So we never really got in a groove, even though, you know, I think Dylan was 15 of 19 that game. We were still solid. And then you go Liberty game, and then the rain and the turnovers, fumbling on the first play of the offense uh, to the other two turnovers. We never truly, in the rain, got in a rhythm, throwing the ball in, And then against Georgia Southern, you know, I think Dylan was, I guess, 12 of 19, so we were, it was solid, but it wasn't what we're capable of. And, again, we had a, a great night running football, and we wanted to keep those guys and their offense off the field. So I really believe that that we're on the verge, and then our our receiving core and our passing game is going to show here soon uh, with our running game. And if we can have that balance of a 60-40 run to pass, I feel really, really good, about where our offense is heading. Uh, defensively, I've been extremely proud of our defense. You know, the whole uh, Georgia Southern, we had 12 pass breakups and three interceptions against a really good Georgia Southern football team that just came off a Nebraska win. You know, we, obviously the, the shutout game one against Alabama A&M, and then I thought we played, or played extremely hard and played really good against Liberty, and, and you just can't turn the football over four times and expect to beat a good Liberty team on the road. So... Special teams wise, you know, I think we've done a good job. I think we can be better. You know, we've got a, we've got all the faith in Matt Quinn as a, as our a field goal kicker, and we missed two against um, Georgia Southern, but that's two kicks that I have a lot of confidence, and we do as a team. And, and Matt Quinn, you know, I think that uh, we've got to continue to be aggressive in, in special teams. But um, I like the attitude of this team. I like the mindset. I like the the purpose that they brought each day to practice and the growth. You know, I know we've we've played three games and had, had a bye week, but I like where we're at at this point. And if, if you're peaking right now, you know, it is probably not a good sign if you're topping off right now. And I feel like we're, we're making progress and we've just got to continue that climb as we get into conference play. And we've got a big one Saturday night.
5: It is at Rice. Our guest on the Jay Barker Show and Network is Brian Vincent, the head coach of the UAB Blazers. That game, by the way, can be viewed on ESPN+. Coach, can you do a deeper dive on on Debo? He may be the nation's least known but best running back. I think I read this morning, is he fifth or is UAB as a whole on offense, the fifth best yards per carry rushing team in the nation?
7: Yeah, I think that just I don't really know exactly. I do think uh I think what Ted our S I D told me was if um if he had played in three games, he's only played in two. If he played in three, he'd be the leading rusher yard per carry in the nation, number one. Um you know, I think that you've got a couple of the the academies in front of us with the Air Force and, and Navy and those guys and um, I think Army, but outside of them, I think we're probably number two or three in the country in rushing. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's something that that's what we do here. And I think Debo, if you just want to talk about Debo for a second, uh, I remember, you know, when we recruited Debo, we felt like he was a big time player in what we do. And part of the thing that we sold him on was, you know, we were running offense and, and we were run outside zone football team and he was the next Spencer Brown you know and he could come in as a true freshman and he kind of hit the scene week four on against South Alabama's really really hit the scene that year a true freshman year and had a had a great you know true freshman year and then he followed it up last year with a with a a really solid uh sophomore campaign and he's just grown and matured each year and each season and, and this was the first season that Devo really I his first two years he'd have five good practices and one average five good and one average and now Devo in spring every single day he came with a purpose every day in fall camp that's hard to do when you bring certain mentality and effort and and mindset every single day in fall camp and he's got his body the best he's ever looked he eats you know he's cautious on what he puts in his body he's does a great job in, in the weight room, and you're looking at about a 208 pound. He came in at 238 pounds, so he's 208 right now, and is rocked up and as fit as he's ever been, and with a great mindset and skill set, you got a chance to have your best um, your best season yet.
4: Coach, I uh, grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm a big Nebraska guy, and uh, Georgia Southern outplayed Nebraska. Not only that, Georgia Southern. They racked up 642 yards of total offense, and that's the most ever allowed by Nebraska in Memorial Stadium in history. And it was no fluke that Georgia Southern beat Nebraska. So what I'm getting at, it was no fluke that you beat Georgia Southern. How did you guys uh, on the defensive side of the ball – do such a good job of maintaining that high-powered offense, and specifically on the back end, your, your secondary, um, you were able to accomplish things that Nebraska was not able to.
7: I think the thing that we did, we number one, we, we've got an experienced secondary back with Grayson Cash, Will Bowler, Jalen Key, Damon Miller, uh, Starling Thomas, uh, Starling uh, Thomas. D-Mac, D-Karen McWilliams. Um, keandre swoops, and we brought in Fodrick Bottom, Kobe Dempsey. So we just really brought in an extra DB, and uh, we we really had to challenge our five man box with our three down down linemen and two inside backers, where they had to hold up to stop the run. And we knew we were going to be patient, giving them four or five yards of rush if that's what it took, because we were going to we were going to sell out to stop their pass. So I think. We just went drop eight, our defensive staff, Coach Reese, all of our defensive coaches, Coach Hill, Coach Schrader, Coach Riley, Coach Taylor, everybody did a great job. We we really just – we were in drop eight. And um, we had about six different coverage calls. And I thought we did a great job keeping it mixed up and, and really taking all the lanes away while being physical enough with our five-man box to slow down their run and stop the run. And you take out that one-fourth and one-run, I guess, 60-yard touchdown run that they got on fourth and one, they'd have been under 100 yards rushing. So I just thought that we played, we had great focus, we had a great mindset, we had a great week of practice, and, and our defense rose to the challenge and really gave them fits, gave them fits all day with 12 pass breakups and three picks, was was a really solid day.
3: <clears throat> coach Brian Vincent, our guest, uh, head coach, UAB Blazers getting ready to travel to Rice and uh, in Houston, Texas, coming up this weekend. Again, ESPN Plus, where you can watch that game. I was out at Highland Park Golf Course on Friday of last weekend. And me Harrison, uh, Dylan and was behind us. Grayson was behind us, Cash. And uh, I'm so glad we all played football and not golf, number one. But uh, they were enjoying their uh, time off. And just talk about what that meant for you guys to get some rest, some time off. Uh, I know it's early in the season, but uh, what did you guys do during that period?
7: You know, we just really we did a good job of just self-evaluating ourselves and our tendencies, and really our personnel and where we were at three games in as an offense, defense, special teams, and what we needed to do moving forward. And when you go through fall camp, really five weeks of fall camp, and then you jump right in, in game one, game two, game three, it gave us a chance to really sit back try to get our guys healed up, even though um, we're only into three games, but that five weeks of fall camp plays a toll, too, if you're really physical, and that's that's who we are here. And just to really give ourselves a chance to move forward and heal our kids up and really get a start on rice. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. You know, we've set expectations high here at UAB, and, and most people don't break it down on, on champs every day, <clears throat> and – that's something that we do because we want to play for conference championships here. That's our goal. And once you get into conference play, as we are this Saturday, that's that's a big deal to us, and we kind of want to you, know, you switch those gears. And now this is what we work for. This is what we're about. Now it's here, so we will get ready to go on that. It got the kids a couple of days away that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to just refresh, man, and just recharge and get back. And we got a nine-week stretch here now where we just got to hunker down and go,
3: well, good luck this weekend, and always great to have you on. And uh, I know you're excited about the uh, getting back at it, but uh, Coach, thank you.
7: Absolutely, thank you guys for having us on. Man, appreciate you guys and everything you do. And go Blazers, go Blazers. All right. That's Coach Brian Benson, head coach of the UAB Blazers.
3: Joining us next, we got Brian Crichton. We'll talk NASCAR at Talladega coming up this weekend as well. So stay with us. We're live from AVX Audio Video Excellence. Continues. Built by Seebles and made up with some of their best linens in town, their staff can truly put your bed together like no other store. You can also follow Seebles and shop on Instagram and Facebook, and be sure to call or go by their special store in downtown Homewood. The number is eight 800- hundred. Four four eight nineteen sixty two. That's 800 And just for listening, go to Siebel's and order anything you want and type in J. Barker for a special discount code. That's J. Barker for a special discount code available only to our listeners for a limited time on The J. Barker Show. Siebel's and downtown Homewood are online at Siebel's
10: Letter O.
3: 500 coming up uh, this weekend, and uh, we got Brian Crichton on. He is the president of the Sounding Super Speedway, and uh, always great to have him on. But uh, what a great weekend it's going to be. We're three days, 28 minutes, and now seven seconds away from all that uh, up and going at uh, the Yellowwood 500. But, Brian, thanks for being with us, as always. And I know you're excited about the weekend coming up. It should be a great uh, weekend as far as weather-wise as well.
11: Yeah, Jay, thank you very much for having me on. Yes, yeah, it's looking uh, just going to be spot perfect for uh, weather, you know, mid-70s, upper 70s, just beautiful skies. uh. But saying that and saying how beautiful it is up here, you know, our thoughts are with, uh, you know, our friends, colleagues, and uh, the, you know, residents down in Florida for, uh, you know, the uh, hurricane coming through there uh, for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's shaping up to be a beautiful uh, race weekend here at Talladega.
3: Well, give us some of the events, activities that will be going on. And uh, I know Matt will be a huge part of all that, uh, as he is each and every year at uh, Talladega with all the race uh, stuff and activities that are going on. But how can fans get involved other than just the race this weekend?
11: Yeah, Matt's definitely a tradition here at Talladega. I mean, you know, he's in Talladega Nights, so that's you right. Know, if you're in Talladega Nights, you always have the uh, the you know, traditional pass here at Talladega. But you know, we kick things off on Friday. You know, we have on track activity Friday with uh, NASCAR um, Xfinity Series and Truck Series, uh, both practicing and qualifying. Uh, and then Friday evening, the fun off the track starts with a rodeo. We have a full blown rodeo going on uh, in our infield this uh, this go around. So uh, bull riding uh you know, the clowns, uh, you know, uh bullfight and all that kind of fun stuff. So it's um it's something we did last year and uh, just such a tremendous response. Uh we brought it back. Uh, and we also have a about a fifteen minute fireworks show uh, that's gonna happen Friday nights for all of our campers that are uh, uh on our grounds here. Uh and then you know obviously anybody in the community that wants to come out and see a tremendous fireworks show. Um so that's Friday night and then Saturday we've got well some people calling it a doubleheader with two races but uh I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's a triple header because we got all three series on track. We yeah. got uh, the uh, Cup qualifying uh, that's going to happen in the morning. Uh, then we're going to do the uh, Truck Series uh, playoff race and then the Xfinity Series playoff race. Uh, after that, you know, the, uh, the weekend activities off the track uh, continue. Uh, we've got a free concert uh, if you've got an infield pass or a Sunday uh, ticket uh, uh, with uh, Bailey Zimmerman opening up for Chase Rice. So it's going to be a, a, a great weekend. Lots of excitement and we haven't even got to Sunday yet either. Uh, And then, of course, Sunday, uh, lots and lots of pre-race activities that are going on. Uh, The display area will be open Friday through Sunday. Uh, We'll have about 30 different um, uh, partners that will be in that area. Uh, Trackside Live is going to be set up in that area with lots of driver interviews and questions. And we have Talladega Garage Experiences. Um, You know, going to be wide open again so you can see the cars up close. And, of course, the Yellowwood 500, you know, it's it's that second uh, round or second uh, race in the, in the second round of the playoffs. And uh, they, 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 they call it a wild card for a reason. It's going to be a wild race, and uh, we're looking forward to it.
5: Brian, real quick, uh, have you been in touch with Daytona? Everybody okay?
11: You know we have yes we're, so uh, we've got a bunch of Daytona uh, team members that have actually traveled up they traveled up earlier in the week um, they are staying in touch with uh, you know family and friends that are down there lots of rain um, that they've received um, we've, we've heard of some minor damage some trees down and some limbs down um, it's really the rain I think they've, they've got about 20 inches of rain there so um, Lake Lloyd inside of De- uh, Daytona International Speedway is uh, is risen up out of its banks um, but that's <laughs> expected um, you know when, when, when you get that much rain um but so far we're hearing that everybody's safe uh with just a little bit of minor damage here and there
5: that is really really good to hear uh want to talk about the next gen car just for a moment it like any car introduced in nascar i remember with the car tomorrow and the other newer you know you're gonna have some bumps and bruises along the way and that's not i'm not here to criticize it what i want to know is when something pops up what does NASCAR and Talladega and all the team owners and all the drivers do? I mean, there's a tremendous amount of research and development if just a very small problem pops up.
11: Yeah, absolutely. If if, if anything happens with that car, I mean, it is, you know, it's immediately, uh, you know, looked at. And there's a, a, an entire research and development center up in the uh, Charlotte Concord area. Um, And so they'll take the cars back if there's any incidents that happen with the different cars. uh, So they will take a look at them. They'll take a look at the tires. They'll take a look at, you know, just, uh, you know, and they're working in conjunction with the teams, which I think is very important as well. And so it's, you know, it's a collaborative effort. You know, when you do roll out with a brand new car that is brand new from, I mean, front bumper to back bumper um, and everything in between, uh, you know, it's something that, There's a lot of, uh, you know, research done on. And if, you know, something pops up that they they take a look at it and, you know, they make the changes that they need necessary.
4: Brian, this is uh, Lars Anderson here. I, I spent a good 15 years covering NASCAR for Sports Illustrated. And uh it's no secret that, uh, you know, during the, I don't know, 2009, 2010, 2011, that stretch of time that that NASCAR had a, a little bit of a dip in popularity. But it seems to be on the uptick uptick again. What are the factors that uh, you can point to? or that you think uh, are, are sort of bringing fans back to the sport. And I, and I think we'll, we will, we'll see that again on, on Sunday with how many fans are in the stands at Talladega.
11: Yes, you will. You will see that on Sunday here at Talladega. Um, we are trending uh, up in in our grandstand sales uh, compared to we compare them to two different years right now. You, typically, we just compared to the year before, um, but right now, just because of all the you know differences in COVID, uh, we compare to 2021 as well as 2019. Um, so 2019 October is our last real you know race before COVID hit. Um, so we are trending up in our ticket sales um, compared both years in our grandstands uh, we debuted talladega garage experience in 2019 uh, so a huge grand opening that we, that we had then well we're up uh, in talladega garage experience just because people have, have have seen it and uh you know just enjoy it and telling friends about it and so it's creating new fans and that's bringing some fans out uh, we are sold out of all of our 2700 rv spots in our infield uh, we're sold out of all of our suites that we have on property as well. Um, so the excitement is definitely back, and you know I, I think it has it, it, it has something to do with the next gen car. It, I think it has something to do with COVID. You know, people want to get back out and do things. Um, you know, it, it's but that next gen car and the excitement that it has created, um, 19 different winners. You know, in in a year, that's unheard of. Um, so it's really kind of leveled that that playing field, uh, and then with you know the four playoff races so far, not a a, a playoff eligible. driver um, has won a race. They've all been in the first three rounds. It was somebody that hadn't won a race yet this year. And then, of course, this past weekend, Tyler Reddick. But, you know, unfortunately, he was already eliminated from the playoffs, and he wins the race. So uh, I I think the parity on the track, I think the, you know, excitement, even starting off in, uh, you know, we started this season off in L.A. You know, for the Clash. And I think that brought in a whole new group of eyes, uh, you know, to the sport. And they've just been, NASCAR's been building momentum, going into new markets, which I think has helped a lot too so i think there's multiple different factors that uh, you know is showing this uh increased uh you know rise in uh in you know the attendance and and viewership for nascar
7: hey
5: brian let's talk tv for just a second tell everybody where they can view the races this weekend but um usa's been carrying them and and you've had an alternating deal with two different networks uh what's it going to be like through the through the remainder of the season and and pardon me for not knowing, Brian, but what what will it be next year?
11: Yeah, so I can I I, I can tell you what's gonna happen this weekend. Uh, and we actually have three different broadcast networks this weekend uh, that our three races are going to be on. I can't tell you what the rest of the season is because <laughs> I'm focused on this weekend. But the uh, Truck Series race that's going to be on uh, FS1, you know, uh, Fox Sports One. Uh, the Xfinity Series race is going to be on USA. Uh, but the Yellowwood 500 uh, that's going to be on NBC. Um, so three different races, three different um, you know broadcast networks. Um, we're 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 excited about it. USA has uh, you know in more homes and um you know than they, they were that we had last year and so we've seen the uh ratings go up there uh next year um i don't know if they've announced the the full schedule uh yet for what our races are going to be on the talladega super speedway but um typically in the spring we are on fox um you know for the three races that we have including arca uh the xfinity series and then um, cup and then in next fall we actually are back to our two race schedule um that we had before covid so we picked up a race uh during covid times um so we're back to the uh truck series and uh cup series next fall um and so that'll probably most likely be on fs uh, fs1 for the trucks and then probably nbc for the cars for the cup cars
4: so more than half of the drivers in the field each week are in their 20s. And this is simply a uh, uh, a trend that has been going on for a while, uh, probably the last half decade or so, of, of younger drivers being the, the sort of cornerstone drivers of the sport. Why do you think that is? You know, uh, Dale Earnhardt, he was competitive uh, at, at age 50. Uh, Jimmy Johnson just recently retired. Uh, competitive till his mid forties. Tony Stewart, uh, Jeff Gordon. Uh, why, why do you think uh, it, it now that you, we kind of are having this shift toward younger drivers in the sport?
11: Yeah, there's obviously a lot of talent out there, and uh, you know I think that you know some of the drivers are, are maybe you know looking at retiring a little bit earlier uh, or moving on and doing something different. You know, we've had some that you know have retired and moved into uh, broadcasting. Um, so I think there's just such a talented crop of young drivers that are out there as well. Um, you know, that's kind of, of that wave, and you know it's kind of a, a you know circular kind of motion where you know it's it's going to be some different things along the way. But I mean, if you look at the talent that's out. Out there, it's um you know some tremendous young names that are coming up, and uh you know really you know making a name for themselves in in the sport. Brian going to be a I'm, great. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm still. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead.
4: Sorry, yeah, go ahead. I'm still trying to figure out where uh, where Carl Edwards is.
5: <laughs> he's probably it, in a hot air balloon he's, <laughs> he's a different kind of
4: guy no he is i, I love I Carl. i love carl uh I, I flew in a plane with him uh he was a daredevil behind uh the, the pilot stick uh but it was shocking when he retired after the 2016 season but uh i guess he was like sailing around the world maybe i'm not sure
5: he see he was a different yes. cat uh is a different cat isn't he
11: yeah, you know i mean i didn 't know Carl really that well, uh, you know I do know that that one was one that came out of left field, so to speak i don 't think anybody you know was even you know thinking that was going to happen or rumoring that was going to happen then all of a sudden the announcement you know happened, so he pops up every once in a while here or there, but uh, i don't you know i don't know what he's doing if he's sailing around the world or in a hot air balloon or in a tractor uh, plowing a field in in missouri i 'm just not sure where he is right now, but uh, uh I tell you, he used to love running here at Talladega.
5: Uh, yeah. He's going he, he he be a lot of yeah. Talladega. He's, uh, he's good for the sport. You <laughs> know, I mm-hmm. did hear one thing here in the last year or so that he was thinking about running for office, like for Senate or something like that. But, you know, hmm. I, I could have dreamt that. I don't know. Hey, Brian, uh,
6: I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, looking forward to it. Yes,
5: forward to it. All
3: right, Brian Crichton joining us. President of uh, Talladega, and it's going to be a great weekend. Yellowwood 500, and uh, that's on October the 2nd, but a huge weekend of uh, annoying. The NASCAR Cup Series, the playoffs, everything going on, and all the great experiences you can get out of NASCAR. And the greatest of all, Matt Coulter is going to be there. as He's there every weekend in October. And the spring, uh, just a a great event. So uh, stay stay tuned to all that. And, uh, again, it's going to be on FS1, USA, and NBC for the final race, the Yellowwood 500. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. We're live from AVX. We'll wrap up hour number one.
2: You're listening to the Jay Barker Show live from the AVX studios in downtown Birmingham. A national championship team
0: covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.
5: It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi.
0: The Literacy Council of West Alabama serves nine counties by getting books into the hands of children and adults. Tomorrow's sunny with a high at 79. And for the weekend, lots of sunshine Saturday and Sunday. Highs between 76 and 79. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 72 degrees in Tuscaloosa. And our
3: thanks to Coach Brian Vincent, UAB coach, joined us earlier in this hour, hour number one here on the Thursday edition, Jay Barker Show with Lars Anderson and Matt Coulter, and uh, we got a big weekend ahead of us. And Brian Crichton just joined us from Talladega Super Speedway. We got uh, college football coming up as well. Alabama, Arkansas. Alabama travels to Arkansas at 2:30 on CBS. And uh, Matt, you got a big weekend. We were talking about some of the events coming up for Talladega. Uh, what's your weekend look like this weekend at Talladega?
5: Big deal is uh, as far as this show is concerned on Tide one hundred point nine and other affiliates is the Alabama Arkansas game. Um, unfortunately, that's gonna that'll be the night game, right? And I, am I getting this right? I'm, my schedules are all clogged up in my head. Two thirty. But yeah,
4: yeah, it's two okay, thirty.
5: I knew I was gonna miss something. I guess I'll miss most of that. But yeah, that football game then Talladega.
4: Um, Calling some high school football.
5: Then I'm, yeah, I'm doing that tonight. Fortunately, it's in Munford, which is five minutes from the track. And that worked out. Um, and then what was the other one? I said, oh, the Mets in Atlanta.
4: Ty. I, I, that was yesterday. I don't know what they are this morning. Brace were off. But, Aaron Judge uh, hit 61 uh, last night. Brace were not um, really, yeah. really interesting. That, that The poor fan uh, sitting in the outfield. Uh, it had a glove on the ball, and that ball was going to be estimated to be worth about two million dollars. Wow! And he mm. dropped it, and uh, the bullpen pitcher picked it up, and uh, the bull—sorry, uh, the, the the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen uh, pitching coach uh, got it and uh, did the right thing, gave it to Aaron Judge, and in a very sweet moment in the locker room, Aaron Judge gave the ball to his mother, and uh, it was great because Roger Maris Jr. was there. And I tell you what, Roger Maris Jr. is a spitting image of his dad. It's as <laughs> if Roger Maris was right there, and it was just so cool. Uh, you know, I'm not a baseball person, but I, I love uh, sort of these uh, these moments that just make uh, you know spine tingling moments in sports, and and that was one of them. And uh, and, and and look. Uh, it, Aaron Judge is doing this without the benefit of steroids, as far as we know, or, or any, that got a steroids. or, or any, uh, any sort of, uh, supplement whatsoever that's illegal. And, uh, he just, he seems like Jay, uh, an all American type of guy, um And he was just so humble, and it, it was just a special scene, you know. He was talking about his mom, how his mom has always been with him. His mom took him to his first Little League games, and she sat through all those games. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is what I'm doing with Lincoln right now. What if Lincoln breaks Aaron Judge's record one day? <laughs> Not I think that. he'd probably break, more likely to break like Ricky Henderson's record. But, uh, but, but, Jay, just your reaction to, to. Yeah, right. Yeah, he would. He would. He was, he's 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 white lightning, man. He's fast. Uh, but, uh, but, but, Jay, you, I don't know if you had a chance to see what transpired last night in Toronto. But uh, if you did, what what was your reaction?
3: Yeah, I mean it's just great. I mean we kind of been waiting on it, and you know they've been going live, breaking to it through uh, different events and stuff throughout uh, the last week, and waiting to see the 60, sixty second home run be hit. I found it interesting, and I think a lot of Major League Baseball fans, and, and I'm I'm not sure. I mean I, I would say Matt's probably the the purest of us all uh, when it comes to uh, baseball and talking about Pete Rose and all this type of things. I've always thought Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. He shouldn't be as a manager, but as, as a player. And, um, you know, Roger Maris Jr., he blasts Major League Baseball, says Aaron Judge's potential uh, 60-second home run uh, should be a single season record. So, you know, Barry Bonds did it with 73, and now it's, um, you know, one of those moments where uh, – I, mean, I, I know the asterisk is by Sosa McGuire and, and, uh, and Bonds, and uh, it's tainted by the, the uh, steroids era – but um, you know, is that a cloud that the Major League Baseball would want to lift and, and recognize this as the is uh, the guy, is the man that's got the most home runs, uh, you know, in a single season? Matt, kind of your thoughts on that?
5: That's a it's a very very good question and one worth sitting down and uh, having some lunch and talking about because you could go a lot of different directions. I will ask you this though. Because we don't have enough time for me to go into that, I, I, I would go crazy over that. I wanted to ask you guys <laughs> this: Did you ever see sixty one that Billy Crystal did? The
4: movie. Yeah. I did not. I did. It did was you so see good. it, Jay? Yeah.
5: Unbelievable. Barry Pepper was. I mm-hmm. mean, it showed all of the things that Maris went through during that season: the pressure on breaking the Babe's record, and then you know, losing what, clumps it, of hair. Losing his hair. Yeah. And and then he had and you had Mantle. Who socially was the exact opposite? Maris went home after games. Mantle hit every bar in Manhattan. Um, and I always, I always think Ruth, about, right? You mean what did I say?
4: Mantle. Well, Mantle had oh, yeah. it in front of Mickey him. Mantle. Oh, yes. and, yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay. uh, yes, yes, yeah,
5: yeah. Uh, but, but, but by the way, Babe Ruth did the same <laughs> 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 after <laughs> yeah. games. I didn't
4: know which one you're talking
5: about. Yeah, uh, but uh, it, it was a phenomenal story. I remember one thing. Who was it? Michael. Allen something. The guy was on Saturday Night Live. He was in Sweet Sixteen. Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, yeah.
3: Anthony Michael Hall. So I he think played
5: what? Yeah. He played Whitey Ford in that movie. Mm-hmm. But he was right-handed. So Billy Crystal came up with this idea to put the jersey on backwards and flip the screen so it looked like he was throwing left hand. Isn't
3: that? That's pretty. That's pretty a great. Good idea. Cinema information.
5: All right. Okay. Uh, That'll wrap up hour one, Jay.
3: Yeah, we got Clint Lamb coming up next, and uh, always great to talk to him, get his take on the Crimson Tide. for BAM Insider on 3 Media, again, Clint Lamb's going to join us in hour number two. He'll be up with us around uh, one fifteen today, so look forward to that. We'll continue to break down some of the other games around the SEC and nationally as well for college football coming up this weekend. Again, Yellow 500 coming up this weekend at Talladega. Talladega uh, Yellow Wood at 500 at Talladega coming up this weekend. Stay with us.
1: that can't affect an exploit. That's breaking you. Your frustration is breaking you. What does it take to break you? We should help others. We should serve other people all the time. You cannot be a leader and affect other people if you're not willing to serve other people. Think of our lives as every day. We should appreciate the opportunity that we have to accomplish and affect something. Earn this. Everybody made all these sacrifices for you to live. Go live a good life, be a good father, help other people, accomplish something of significance, make a difference. That would be my message to everybody here. Make a difference and help everybody's spirit in a positive way. God bless you and roll tight.
2: jay barker brings that same championship quality and football expertise to his own radio network and show joining him is lars anderson new york times best-selling author 20-year veteran of sports illustrated and professor at the university of alabama live from the avx studios in birmingham alabama the jay barker show
3: All right, welcome back in, hour number two, here on the Jay Barker Show, live from AVX Audio Video Excellence. Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, and we are presented by Top Golf of Birmingham. Get out to Top Golf, you'll love it. We call it the bowling of this generation, and with his family, friends, co workers, uh, whether it's charity events, whether it's corporate events, just going out and having fun with your friends and family. Uh, you'll love it. The, uh, the drinks, the food, the fun at Top Golf of Birmingham. Also great for tailgating before the UAB games or any type of events at Protective Stadium. That's Golf of Birmingham. We're driven by Sonny King Ford on the sunny side of the street. Go see Tony Russell and all the great folks there at Sonny King Ford. All right, got to get into a topic that we have not so far, and we got uh, Alabama and Arkansas. We'll talk about that coming up there, 2.30, CBS, and uh, Clint Lamb's going to join us from Bama, uh, Bama Insider on 3 Media here in just about uh, 12, 13 minutes. But, uh, guys, i, I got to get your take on A.J. McCarron's uh, prediction of Brian Harson, what he had to say about it uh, as far as uh, that he is going to be out, according to sources, multiple sources that he's talked to uh, at Auburn and folks that uh, are close to the action there and uh, said that he believes that uh, it's already a done deal, that Harson will be out uh, after the season is over, that he's already been told that and uh, going to work his way through the season, and uh, then it'll be done. But uh, kind of your your guys' initial thoughts about it. I know Paul Feinbaum came out yesterday and had some pretty uh, interesting words. One of his quotes was, he's now 0-2 in the last encounters with Auburn.
4: <laughs> well, uh, my initial reaction, and, and Matt can say more on this than me, is that um, I, I, I don't disagree with A.J. McCarron. I mean that's kind of like saying the sky is blue, right? Uh, <laughs> like um, unless something dramatic happens, um, Auburn's going to have a new football coach next uh, next year. And, uh, and, and look, and, and the fact that it came on his podcast, and the podcast is called Slow News Day. Um, <laughs> that that even makes it a, even a bigger zinger for Auburn fans and um, and and McCarron called Auburn a uh, quote lower or a middle to lower tier SEC school and look the more I thought about this and I was talking to an Auburn fan last night Auburn is in danger in my estimation of becoming Nebraska right the losing seasons start piling up on each other. Recruiting starts to fall. The whole thing, the whole program starts to slip and loses traction. And once all of those things convalesce and happen at the same time, it is really hard to turn around the ship. Like, it's the equivalent of of turning around an oil tanker, right, in the Suez Canal. It ain't easy. I don't know. I'm just trying to come up with that's actually impossible. I think it is too. (laughs) You, uh, you end up beaching the oil uh, tanker, uh, which is kind of what happened a few years ago or last year, whatever it was. But, um, and I I think Auburn's in trouble and uh, AJ McCarron look, whether or not he has sources at at Auburn, who knows, but uh, I, I don't think he's wrong. And I don't think any of us think he's wrong. Why did Feinbaum object
5: so much? I mean, Feinbaum says um, A.J. has fumbled this one terribly. He's now 0-2 in his last two encounters with Auburn. Uh, there's just no justification for that. There's no evidence of that. When I heard that yesterday, I did what any legitimate reporter would do, and that was to <laughs> dig as deep. Excuse me, did you say reporter? Don't oh, make sorry. me laugh. Uh, exactly. Would do, and that was to dig as deep as possible with available sources, there's no evidence to support that. Now, let me rewind. From Monday. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Let me rewind to Monday and his appearance on um, Mac and uh, Kubler. It's over for Brian Harson. That's what Feinbaum said. I mean, I'm sorry. Is he? Is this where you're talking out of both sides of your mouth?
4: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, we I mean, all we all
5: know, excuse me for interrupting, we all, we all know there's we, no we, love lost between Paul and I. Yeah, uh, if Paul,
4: Paul, he I consider him a friend, but look, if uh, he doesn't need A.J. McCarron anymore, he doesn't need A.J. McCarron for anything, and it becomes exactly. very easy to bash, it, it becomes very easy to bash people when you don't have to ask them for anything, or right, you, Jay? Or when you hang up the phone.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, so when you when you yeah, look at, I mean, it, and here's the thing that McCarran said: he said it's a dumpster fire. Things I've heard behind the scenes from p- some people that are very well connected up there. I'm sure that people know it's heard that he's already. I heard he's already gone. That he's already been told he'll finish out the year and you're done. We've all heard that. We've all heard that. I mean, yeah. I, and, and and I'm sure Paul's heard that uh, because of the people that we're hearing it from, I, I know that he's connected to, and and there are people that are very high up in that Auburn. Uh, decision-making class of of people in the family.
4: Yeah. Um, And, look, I I think if they get um, manhandled on Saturday, and I think they will, there's no evidence to suggest that LSU is not going to – I think LSU is going to pound them pretty good. Um, I don't think Brian Harson will be coach come Sunday at two o'clock in the afternoon. I really don't. If they get if they get beat by three touchdowns or more, I think he's gone. Is I it think just he's a matter gone. of time? His because, next loss, he's gone. Because look, this has become and Jay, I think you mentioned it yesterday. It's become a new trend of mm-hmm. firing coaches early in the season if they don't get the job done. I mean, we, we just we just saw it at Georgia Tech with the coach and the AD, saw it at Nebraska, and I think we're about ready to see it at Auburn. And, uh, you know, we talked to Brandon Marcello yesterday from 24-7 Sports, and, and, and Brandon lived in Auburn for a long time. He covered Auburn for AL.com, won multiple awards covering Auburn, and uh, he just said that it, it's just been sort of a disaster from the get-go. And what I don't understand, Jay, look, at the time, I guess I I didn't think it through enough. At the time, I thought, hey, this is an outside-the-box hire for Auburn. Why not give it a – why not swing for the fences here? But the thing is, Brian Harson has no relationship with high school coaches, not just in Alabama but throughout the South. And now we're hearing reports of of multiple high school coaches coming out – and saying, I've never met Brian Harson. I've never even spoken to Brian Harson. And these are coaches uh, at the top programs, top high school programs in Alabama. How and does look, that happen? You can get, I, I don't know. Like, and, that that's be, like that Scott Frost. Week,
3: week one through week four that you're on. You finally you, – you get to campus. I mean, you, you should look at all your people and say, hey, you we're getting You get out. in your car. Yeah. Yeah.
4: You get in we're your sure. car. Or you have somebody drive a, a really nice, like, SUV for you. Well, they <laughs> get you go, a private plane as well. You know, high school, I mean... <laughs> Or get on a plane. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and – because if you can get just a third of the top players in Alabama – and let's say Alabama gets uh, the other third and the other third just go wherever. You can get a third – you're going to be competitive because Alabama produces, I think, per capita as many high, good high school players, as many good players who become great high, uh, college players as any state in the country. Uh, and, and that's a subject for a whole other show of, of why that is. Mm-hmm. But he just hasn't cultivated and nurtured those very, very important relationships. And I, I mentioned this earlier. One of the reasons that, that Scott got fired at Nebraska he missed a call with this uh, kid. His last name is Rayola, and he's one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Five-star kid. His dad was an All-American center at Nebraska. He wanted to go to Nebraska, and <clears throat> Scott somehow missed the recruiting call with him. Slept through it, whatever. He missed it. And, and, and then you, you contrast that with Nick Saban. Everything he does is about recruiting. Everything. Other than what transpires on the field, Jay, and you know this better than everyone, everything he does is geared toward recruiting. And Brian Harson he hasn't been that way. And and, and also, I, I even go back to his opening sort of monologue at his first SEC media days when he went on and on and on about how great Boise was, what a ter- terrific program and waxing poetic about it. And. I'm like, dude, you're not you're not out on the west coast anymore. You're you're in the deep south. Football's a little different here, and uh, and and it just seems like he he never got it, Matt. And uh,
5: I worry about Auburn talking about hiring somebody like uh, Dion.
4: That that's not going to happen. Is that just kind of oh we hope that's going to happen or um... I think I think I think who Auburn fans really want is Hugh Freeze, and I've heard you know the rumors that oh Greg Matt Sankey's put a moratorium, yeah maybe Matt Rule, uh, I, I've heard that Greg's yeah the, the rumors that, that 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 Max that that Greg Sankey has said. Hugh Freeze won't coach in the SEC as long as I'm commissioner. Uh, yep. I, that's hogwash.
5: I don't believe that for a second. No, if, oh. if
4: Auburn wants Hugh Freeze, they can have Hugh Freeze. That's probably the best and I hire. Think, and I he think, knows the culture. I
3: just think if they could have had him, they would have got him last time. I mean, he was one of the top guys. I mean, I think there there is something was, behind the scenes that the SEC uh, teams just know that that if they go in and start doing the background check, that it's not going to come out pretty.
4: Yeah. I mean, he was still a little bit more toxic and radioactive then than he is now. Time, heals, yeah. wounds. No, blah, I agree with blah, that. Blah,
11: blah, blah. But, yeah.
4: I'm going to get to Clint Lam. All
3: right. Clint Lamb is coming up next. We'll talk with him about Alabama, Arkansas, 230 on CBS. He's with Bama Insider on 3Media. Clint Lamb, next.
2: Stay with us. You're listening to The Jay Barker Show, live from the AVX Studios in downtown Birmingham.
8: Can I get the sales projections for the Springfield, Bristol, and Fairview stores?
0: Val's Froyo Palace is dishing out three more locations. Jody, have you lined up interviews? They need three new store managers before they have a... Tomorrow's sunny with a high at 79. And for the weekend, lots of sunshine Saturday and Sunday. Highs between 76 and 79. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 74 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
3: Insider on three, I was going to say Bama on three. Bama Insider on three media, and that is Clint Lamb joining us, team reporter for Bama Insider on three uh, sports, covering Alabama football. Bama on three show, host and radio personality for UMP Sports up in uh, the Huntsville, Alabama area. But always great to have Clint Lamb on and talk about the Crimson Tide. they got Arkansas coming up at 2.30 on CBS this Saturday. But, Clint, welcome in. Thanks for being with us.
6: Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on.
3: Well, first of all, just kind of give us your, your, your kind of overall look at this game against Arkansas. Uh, Alabama's been, uh, I, don't say, I mean, you got to say struggle because they had the last two years uh, away games, but uh, this could be a big statement for them, and an Arkansas team is hurting from a really tough loss last weekend.
6: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because you do have the narrative of Alabama on the road in recent games. I mean, over the last couple of years, I think they pl- played uh, five true road games, and from something I saw on Twitter, uh, four of those have been decided by three or less points. Now, granted, they've won four out of five of those, which is a pretty good mark or a pretty good rate, but, you know, the struggles. You know, they were big favorites over a lot of those opponents. You wouldn't look at any of them. You know, Florida last year, Texas A&M, Auburn, uh, Texas this year, Mississippi State. You wouldn't look at any of the opponents and say, oh, you know, I would expect them to put up a, a really good fight against Alabama. You know, they were, they were sizable favorites in all those games, and yet they struggled. So going on the road, I would say Arkansas is every bit as good, if not better, than any of those other teams that they've gone on the road and played. So I think that's where the concern comes in, is can Alabama get things right when they're playing on the road? Can they have the emotional maturity and the ability to overcome obstacles? Because when you do play on the road, Things are not really going to play in your favor. The crowd's not going to have your back. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that there's you know a home field advantage from a uh, an officiating standpoint, but I do think that you know a lot can go against you when you're playing on the road. Can you overcome those things and not you know uh, get outside of your head? Kind of like they did against Texas. I mean, even guys like Will Anderson really struggled from that aspect. Not necessarily as on the field play. From uh, you know how he impacted the game it was more of just the mental errors and how he actually, in some ways, really helped Texas, you know, prolong some drives and just, you know, it just felt like everybody was, you know, not really in rhythm or in sync other than Bryce Young. I mean, he seemed to have a level head the entire game. But can they get that type of performance from a lot more of their key players on Saturday? I think that's going to be big, and we'll just kind of have to see how things play out. I do understand that that Arkansas, you know, they lost to Texas A and M, but people have to realize. This game, I mean, the, the game against a and they should have scored a touchdown. They were on the one-yard line. They fumbled the football. That's a 14-point swing right there. They missed a field goal. That would have been at least 10 more points added to their total on top of taking seven away from Texas A&M. So this is a good Arkansas team. You know, that was a road game. It was a tough environment for them. And, you know, we'll kind of have to see how they end up playing, being back at home this weekend.
5: Clint Lamb from Bama Insider on 3.com is our guest here on the Jay Barker Show and Network. He has posted one, two, three, four, five stories on Alabama in the last two days. So he's a busy guy, and it's well worth the read. One of the stories you've written is an update on Alabama's uh, injury list. Uh, Would you pass that along to us as well?
6: Absolutely. So, you know, Byron Young and Jordan Battle, two key starters, on the defensive side of the football, those guys are – they they practice, but it's like Nick Saban said yesterday during his press conference, it's not really just about getting those guys back out to practice. It's how do they respond because a lot of times, you know, when you're coming back from an ankle injury or a foot injury or whatever, you're really sore the next day. So how do they respond today and tomorrow heading into Saturday as far as, you know, their playing status? I think that's going to be pretty crucial. And when you look at, you know, battle, I mean, he's played the second most defensive snaps of any player – on Alabama's defense with 219. I think uh, DeMarco Hellum is only one snap ahead of him at 220. I mean, that's the most defensive snaps of anybody. And then, you know, you got uh, uh, Byron Young, who is up there as far as his snap share. I think he's played the most of any, you know, defensive lineman. A lot of career snaps, a lot of, uh, you know, experience there. And I think that if they end up missing those two guys, now they do have depth on defense. They can move some guys around. I think Malachi Moore – He can play some safety, and I think that's big. Uh, But at the same time, you want your your team at full strength, especially when you're going on the road to play a team like Arkansas. who's a very physical football team. Um, And then on the offensive side of the football, you got JoJo Earl, who is back at practice. He's going through it. You didn't see him in a black non-contact jersey yesterday. But it's the same kind of situation. You're waiting to see how he responds. And when I'm looking at this Alabama wide receiver room, what's interesting is is that Nick Saban said something, I think it was at halftime of the game against Vanderbilt, where he was talking about how comfortable guys like Jermaine Burton, Treshaun Holden, and uh, Ja'Cory Brooks all are playing on the outside, and they want to play those guys on the outside as much as possible. But out of necessity, because Joe Doral got hurt, uh, they've had to play a lot of those guys in the slot. And you've also seen a true freshman and Kobe Prentice deal a huge uh, snap share um, or play a lot of snaps in the slot as well. So they've kind of had to – you know, play some guys, not necessarily out of position, but they're just guys who are typically more comfortable on the perimeter. They've been having to play them inside. They've been having to play a true freshman. And so when you realize that, and then you watch and see how much better Jermaine Burton played against Vanderbilt, like he had played, I think, north of 50% of his snaps through the first three games in the slot. Against Vanderbilt, he was, you know, that was cut in half to around 25%. And he seemed to perform a lot better when he didn't have to move around as much and, do, and didn't have to do as much thinking. And then Ja'Cory Brooks, you know, I think you had played roughly about 25 to 30% of the snaps in the slot. He played, I think, 10% against Vanderbilt, so they cut his shares inside down as well. What happens? He ends up looking really good, especially going up-tempo with uh, Bryce Young. And so that tells me, you know, we a lot of people have been focusing on the return of Tyler Harrell and how that's going to help Alabama's offense. I think more so, if you look at it from that perspective, I think a guy like JoJo Earl coming back, because he is predominantly a slot guy. He's going to be able to create yardage after the catch. He's got chemistry already built with Bryce Young from their time playing together, you know, last year and all throughout the spring. And then, you know, of course, the summer and into fall camp before he got hurt. So I think him coming back and allowing Alabama to use him inside the most, then you got Kobe Prentice who can also see some snaps inside. You can play those other guys on the outside a lot more. Now everybody's playing where they feel comfortable, and I think the passing attack will look a lot better and a lot more consistent or in rhythm as a result of that. So him coming back is going to be huge for Alabama's offense. We don't know how much he's going to play this Saturday against Arkansas. Um, it could be a situation like Cameron Latou, who, you know, he came back from his injury, but he was rusty, uh, you know, practiced the entire week of Utah State, didn't end up playing in that game he returns the following week after getting a couple of weeks of practice under his belt um, before he was able to to return to the field. You know, that could have been because it was Utah State, or maybe it's something that you look at it and you say, okay, um, you know, JoJo Earl's going to do something similar, or maybe you go ahead and put him out there and maybe he has a small workload in his first game back, or maybe he doesn't play at all. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see how they end up handling that situation.
4: Clint, I've uh, asked this question to a few different reporters who cover Alabama day in and day out. We're a month into the season. Alabama is 4-0 once again under Nick Saban. Through these first four games, what is your biggest surprise about this team? Biggest surprise?
6: Um, you know, that, that's really interesting. That's a great question because I do feel like there's a couple of things that kind of stand out. I think the fact that you've – the the run defense, it was good last year. You knew that it was going to be good this year. I don't think we realized just how good it was going to be. I mean, it's been an elite run-stopping group. They're holding – you know, based off of season averages, they're holding opponents to a significantly lower percentage uh, of rushing totals compared to other games they've played in. That's absolutely huge, and especially going into a game like Arkansas where they're going to want to try to run the football – I think if you could maybe try to take that offense out of its comfort zone and put the the game on on KJ Jefferson's shoulders, and you don't have a guy like Traylon Burks, you can throw the football you know up to down the field. You know, I think that could bode well for Alabama. But I would say the run defense. I think the the pass rush, um, based off of our expectations and what we didn't take into account, was how offenses were going to play Alabama. You know, and we probably should have maybe a little bit more. But you're not seeing a whole lot of dropbacks. You know, even teams that are comfortable with it, they're not doing it nearly as much as you would typically see because they don't want to give Alabama the opportunity to make game-changing plays in that way. And so I think that's caused a lot of people to have some concern about the pass rush. I think when you look at Will Anderson, I mean, he's got four and a half sacks in four games. That's 1.13 sacks per game. Last year over his 15 contests, he had 1.17. So from that standpoint, He's kind of on pace, and then you look at it and you say, okay, he was playing close to 60 snaps, you know, per game last year. Through these first four games, because of the opponents, he's been playing around 35, so around half of that. And he's still, you know, from a sack perspective, he's he's still on pace. The the pressure numbers are slightly down, but that's to be expected when, you know, you're playing less snaps. So I think that that will change. You know, you look at that Texas game, he played 90% of the snaps, uh, over 90% against Texas because it was a big opponent he's needed in those types of games you don't want that kind of player off the field in those types of moments and so I think that you'll probably see something similar maybe not that high but at least relatively close over the course of the next four to six games which is going to be a pretty tough stretch for Alabama but the pass rush has been interesting you know Dallas Turner I've heard a lot of criticism about him I don't think that that's very fair because he's dealing with the same issues that Will Anderson is and he doesn't have Pete Golding specifically scheming things up to get him in one-on-one isolated situations with offensive linemen. So they are doing that for Will Anderson. Part of the – I wouldn't say decoy, but I guess that's the best way to put it, is a Dallas Turner um, and some of those other guys like Chris Braswell putting them on the same side along with Justin B and making the offensive line shift their focus to the opposite side as Will Anderson, things like that. Um, but, I, yeah, Pass rush to me has been surprising because maybe it wasn't as effective as, as maybe we thought it was going to be, but I'm not disappointed in it. I'm just surprised at how, you know, things have turned out through the first four games. Uh And then the, the lack of a vertical threat, which everybody thought it was going to be Tyler Harrell. He gets banged up. Uh, I was thinking maybe Isaiah Bond could be that guy, and I really think they're trying to get him more and more involved. He's playing a lot of snaps. He's just not seeing a lot of targets. And to be fair, he's not doing a ton with the targets he is getting, so I kind of understand it, but just – the, the his His playing time continues to increase each and every week, and so that tells me, even though he's maybe not getting targets, they want to have that vertical element, even if that guy's not getting the football. Uh, you know Tyler Harold's biggest impact on all of them was offense might not be catching footballs. it might just be what he's creating for other guys. So um, I think that not being able to connect on some of those deeper passes has been a concern for fans. Um, but at the same time, you saw a significant improvement in that, uh, you know, against Vanderbilt, and I think you'll continue to see improvement as the season wears on.
3: Yeah, I agree with you about Tyler Harrell. I mean, I've heard, you know, and even looking at his, his tapes, uh, he's more of a deep threat guy. He's not that kind of possession receiver guy coming across the middle, making the great catch. But he can. He can he's definitely a, a deep ball guy. And, and Isaiah Bond. I mean, the coaches rave about him. Um, I've talked uh, so much about him since camp, his speed, his athleticism, they want to see him, as you said, get more touches. Talking about recruiting real quick, uh, Quar, is it Russell, I guess, is I'm not sure how you pronounce the edge, Russell, five-star guy. I saw where you retweeted that from the on-three uh, director of recruiting, Chad Simmons. Uh, do you know much about him? And uh, it, I guess his prediction is he thinks he's leaning towards the Crimson Tide right now, but looks like an outstanding player.
6: Absolutely. Him and Smith, uh, you know, two guys, you know, two five-star players who are both considered, you know, I wouldn't say Alabama leans for both of them, but they want to go to the same place. And with Alabama being in such good position with Roussau, it's really setting up or, or, or uh, you know, it bodes well for their chances of landing both James Smith and Roussau as well. One's an, uh, really an edge guy. The other's an interior defensive lineman. Alabama, you know, some fans have been really concerned about their interior defensive line recruiting. Uh, I think Freddie Roach gets uh, – uh, very criticized very unfairly for how that's done because you watch all these other positions that he's recruited extremely well and you say, you know, why does he have such a connection with all those guys and all those guys want to come to Alabama because of Freddie Roach, but the guys who are actually going to be playing underneath him, you're trying to tell me that they don't want to be. Uh, So that's why, you know, it's Freddie Roach's presence that's hurting the defensive line recruiting. It just doesn't make sense to me. I think he's one of the top recruiters in the country right now. And I think that it more so just has to do with the scheme and uh, the way that Alabama has put a much bigger emphasis in recent years on their edge play and really designing their defense to allow their edges to have a lot of success. You've seen that not only help guys like Will Anderson and, you know, Christopher Allen and, and uh, you know, Drew Sanders when he was in there and Dallas Turner, but it's also allowed them to recruit a lot higher caliber of a player, you know, Jeremiah Alexander. You've got other guys that you're in the mix for, including Russoff. Uh, so I look at their, their defensive front recruiting. and I think it's more system based. You know, they're not really, uh, their interior guys aren't really asked to make a, a ton of plays. It's more creating for others. Um, even though you've got guys like Byron Young and Justin DeBoye being stuff they're doing, you know, they're, they're maximizing their opportunities, but you know, you just don't see the kind of interior disruptors that you saw with maybe a Quentin Williams or a Jonathan Allen or some of those other guys. And I think that people are really wanting that because you would love to get the interior, you know, complimentary piece to what you you got on the exterior. It's just that that's not always feasible. But, you know, both those two guys are are certainly uh, very much in, in play for Alabama. I do ultimately think that they end up getting both of those guys based off of the way things are trending. I wouldn't claim to know that I'm some huge, you know, recruiting insider, but, you know, based off my conversations with Andrew Bone and Joseph Hastings, our two recruiting guys, they do a great job. You know staying on top of that stuff and so I, i'm feeling pretty confident in alabama's chances uh i wouldn't say anything's locked up never you know want to guarantee anything like that but it's trending well for alabama so you, if you throw those guys on top of a lot of these other players that they're still in the mix for i think they're going to you know close and finish strong with what's already a number one recruiting class and that's certainly going to bode well for them con- to continue to be able to have success under nick saban
3: Clint, always great stuff. Hope to see you the pregame or postgame show on Bama Insider, On3 Media, coming up this weekend. But, man, have a great weekend. Thanks for your time.
6: Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you all having me
3: on. All right. Clint Lamb, again, On3 and uh, Bama Insider, and does a terrific job covering the Crimson Tide and also on the UMP uh, Sports uh, radio personality in Huntsville, Alabama. Stay with us. We'll continue our number two right here live from AVX. Audio, video, excellence continues. Built by Siebles and made up with some of their best linens in town. Their staff can truly put your bed together like no other store. You can also follow Siebles and shop on Instagram and Facebook. And be sure to call or go by their special store in downtown Homewood. The number is 800 448 1962 That's 800 448 1962 And just for listening, go to Siebelscottage.com and order anything you want and type in Jay Barker for a special discount code. That's Jay Barker for a special discount code, available only to our listeners. For a limited time on The Jay Barker Show. Siebel's in Downtown Homewood are online at Siebel'sCottage.com.
10: Letter O
3: Again, uh, we've been covering uh, as well, not only sports, but uh, Hurricane Ian and record fall as far as rainfall, uh, the historic storm surge that we've seen in Key West, Fort Myers, and Naples, Florida, some of the key areas that have been hit. I just saw where uh, Raymond James, they will hold the Tampa Bay-Kansas City game coming up this Sunday. So that will stay on at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay. So some good news for the Florida residents that uh, maybe have gone up into that area or even further north that may have something to take their minds off everything that's happened over the last couple of days and will continue to happen uh, for another day or so uh, as we see this hurricane continue to build a little bit out in the Atlantic as well. They say it could hit the uh, Georgia or South Carolina coastal areas uh, over the next uh, so many hours. But uh, guys, uh, real quick on that, just, uh, you know, I think, you know, good news. They're able to do the game and keep it going. not sure how many people, uh, based on uh, the amount of damage and stuff that's been done in that area, but at least something, I guess, to get, get, get people's minds off of what's happened.
4: Yeah, uh, just uh, really, uh, a really tough situation. Uh, so far, more than uh, 500, 500 people have been rescued in Charlotte and Lee counties alone. And those rescue operations began this morning. Um, and uh, I, I know uh, uh, President Biden uh, came out, uh, I think, as we have been on, on air And uh, he is hearing early reports of what may be a substantial loss of life due to Hurricane Ian. Um, And uh, he called it, uh, he said, quote, this could be the deadliest storm in Florida history. The numbers we have are still unclear, but we're hearing early reports of what may be substantial loss of life. Biden said and, um, you know, when when you watch it on the different channels, and I, I was just obsessed with this last night. I, I was just going from Weather Channel to CNN to MSNBC to Fox and, and uh, you just you, you couldn't get a, a clear picture of really what was transpiring throughout the state. And, uh, and and now, you know, uh, once there, there's light and in, in there, uh, the, the, the storm has kind of passed through a little bit, you're just seeing these pictures that, uh, Matt, are just horrifying. Uh, you you know, I'm just looking at a picture now just of uh, damaged boats uh, just lying everywhere. There's boats in the streets. Uh, and it's just, it's hard to, to fathom just what how how bad it it, it might be and uh and and, you know and sometimes you'll see a uh a a weather reporter being like oh you know right here it's okay but look that's a tiny tiny little spot that they're in that they can see and it's what you can't see uh at, at night that uh um you know, it, it's. It, I, I think this is just going to be mind blowing once it's all said and done. And and we know, I mean, just from uh, covering NASCAR, Hurricane Andrew going right by the, the Speedway there, and and seeing what Hurricane Andrew did. And Hurricane Andrew was a relatively small hurricane that went across the state of Florida pretty quick and as Jay you mentioned in the first hour this thing was moving at nine miles per hour eight miles per hour and and, and that's why it just dumped so much rain I over mean, it's just it, over it, two and a half million people
5: were without power um I was driving 65 just the other day Tuesday and uh, I was going north <clears throat> south uh it seemed to me like every 15th truck was a power you know they were already sending people you know, yeah. b- before Ian, um, and you said something the first hour that just, uh, I, I said that there so far one death in Deltona, but then you said there's, there's areas where what one they, sheriff predicted there could be hundreds of people dead, and that's just, God, that's so heartbreaking. I will tell you one thing that I learned last night, or realized, that it's very cool concerning something like this, if anything can be cool. They, drones. Drones are an exceptional yeah. search source. And they are out and everywhere. They're looking for people. They can get the first responders to them. And I just thought that was very, very cool that our technology can help. Whereas 20 years ago, you were doing it by land.
4: Yeah. And, and, and Jay, I'll, I'll, one final thing, and this is somewhat of a, a good note. Uh, DeSantis, the governor of Florida, I, I think he will likely be the Republican nominee for president and uh the the fact that he has been praising uh the uh federal response and, and Biden in particular, and that they're the, the, the two are working together in a very good way and it 's just uh it 's just like you just think to yourself why why can 't this always be i mean why why can 't the two parties always just think of this moment and, and, and just try to figure things out instead of uh, this, uh, this, this widening gap we have between the, 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 two parties. But I think personally, DeSantis is, is doing a, a terrific job. He's showing leadership. Uh, I, they, they were as prepared as possible. Uh, I think they did a good job of, of getting people out of harm's way. Uh, and, and the sad truth is, Jay, about, uh, a, a, a hurricane like this, it's the elderly and it's the poor. And you mentioned mm-hmm. it earlier, those that don't have access to transportation. And those are the ones that are going to get hit the hardest. It's, it's the most vulnerable. Unfortunately, they're going to probably suffer the most.
3: Well, and I know Southern Company, Alabama Power, and all the different uh, organizations that have just lined up down there. I saw the staging. I don't know if you guys saw some of the staging areas for the power companies all over the country, really over the southeast, but especially with Southern Company, Alabama, I mean, our, our guys here are the, the best at, at getting power restored. And, you know, when when storms come through, we're used to that type of stuff. I saw where the uh, the Cajun Navy was heading over as well to help out with search and rescue. So, uh, you know, this is not only people from inside the state of Florida, but from outside that, uh, people coming in. And that, that I think that's why they're able to work together, Lars, because this is bigger than politics. I think when things like this happen with this nine eleven or other type tragic events uh that's where you see people put down the swords and put down any kind of defenses and say what's best for the country instead of worried about uh the politics and the money or anything else like that it's really about the people and a tragedy uh like this so uh, that's what that's what makes it different and special um northwestern um uh, i don't know if you guys saw this uh, is in a new football stadium we'll talk about it coming up on the other side i thought it was pretty interesting They're going to go down to 35,000-seat stadium is what they're looking at. $800 million they're going to spend. I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but uh, pretty nice as far as the stadium, kind of the future of where I think stadiums are going, especially for a lot of the smaller colleges that just don't get the attendance that you see in some of the bigger SEC schools. All right, stay with us. We'll wrap up hour number two on the other side. We're live from AVX.
2: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show, live from the AVX Studios in downtown Birmingham.
5: It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi.
4: Join the city of Tuscaloosa for the free tech or treat on Tuesday evening, October 25th.
0: Tomorrow's sunny with a high of 79. And for the weekend, lots of sunshine Saturday and Sunday. Highs between 76 and 79. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 74 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
8: Why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle? The rest of my life is so hard. I need a photo opportunity. I want a shot of redemption. Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard.
3: Bone, All right, welcome back in. As we continue uh, wrapping up hour number two here on this Thursday edition, we got Alabama Arts. It's talking 2.30 on CBS this Saturday. And Talladega, Super Speedway, the Yellow Wood. 500 as well coming up on Sunday and uh, many other activities on Friday and Saturday uh, at Talladega. Uh, I was talking about Ryan field before we get into that. I, I want to go back to I just saw some of the pictures again from down in the uh, Fort Myers and uh, that area. Just unbelievable uh, some of the damage, the boats, the houses, everything, kind of just uh, all up on the shore. But one of the things that was um, interesting to see yesterday, I don't know if you saw the tornado that was in Destin. Uh, that somebody called an unbelievable view of it. Probably I guess about a mile or so off the uh, the coast, if if that far, um, and um, and also the uh, you talked about it, the receding water, uh, lars from uh, whether it be Tampa and other parts of that that uh, Panhandle area uh, there in the Gulf Coast. I mean, just like one guy walked out and he's like, I mean, it was like a mile before you could even see water again. Um, pretty amazing. They were talking about you know would it come right back in? We've seen this happen before uh, in tornadoes like this because everything's pulled that direction on the east side of the tornado or the left side of the tornado. Uh, the, the other side is the one that's usually the most uh, dangerous when it comes to the surges, but uh, some, some g- great photos of all that. And just, just unbelievable to see that kind of uh, uh, devastation, uh, not only to that, but also the, uh, again, the withdrawal of the water and the tornadoes and other, other sites that we've seen so far covering this particular
4: uh, hurricane. I do have a really quick question for you guys. Um, I know we are so far inland here in Birmingham where we're based, but has there been remnants of a hurricane that have caused significant damage to Birmingham as long as you guys have lived here? Oh, yeah, tornadoes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I feel like Ivan did back right when I came here, maybe in 2005. But uh, They had one come through Tuscaloosa like when I was in
5: school, so before <laughs> either one of y'all were born. Yeah. Uh, uh and they had to cancel classes for a couple of days it was it was pretty brutal lost a lot of power but I, and i remember a couple of trees being down but it's but obviously, like it's obviously apples and
4: oranges yeah uh yeah jay i was looking at renderings of this northwestern new uh proposed stadium at northwestern university and this thing it's a thing of beauty yeah thing it's unbelievable beauty. Uh, Um, 35,000, uh, maximum capacity, which is 12,000 fewer than uh, the current stadium. But what I really love about it, it has this state of the art canopy that, uh, that encircles the whole stadium and it's designed to focus the noise and the light down on the field. So I think what you'll have is sort of this almost like boomerang effect of noise going up and then coming straight back down, and even though it seats just thirty-five thousand, uh, it really could be a loud, a loud place just based on the design. And uh, I, I, and this is all going to be done with private money, uh, close to and, a billion dollars, uh, and just yeah, and, and just the, the wow. Matt, the renderings—all are It's those
5: rich journalists. Beautiful, yeah.
4: <laughs> renderings are beautiful.
5: Yes, yeah, very cool. Um, and you said something during the break. Say it again about Protective.
4: Yeah. Uh, protective Life Stadium here in Birmingham, I know it wasn't the absolute first sort of smaller stadium uh, to be built, but I think it is now going to be used as a template moving forward. And architects will just improve upon what has been done at Protective Life and put different stadiums sort of on campus because the the new trend jay as you know is to get rid of these stadiums at seats seventy five thousand uh at these smaller more schools, suites where they only get thirty five thousand. 000 yep. and more, uh, suites, more suites more boxes uh, more,
3: and, and also yep. for more more activities more uh concerts and things like that for the community all right we got to run and uh, thanks to lars matt thanks to all the guys there at time 100.9 fmr flagship station josh smith our producer, and to all of you for listening each and every day. Join us tomorrow for the Friday edition. Have a great day.
0: Hi, this is Wes McClooney, owner of the New Balance Birmingham store. Achieving your personal best often comes down to how you feel. And when it comes to the right shoes, nothing feels better than New Balance.